0: Well folks, Jerry Adams and Shaw Rish, August Morris Gomsa. Gobel Shevsha, a leg Just reflecting uh on why some working class unionist voters persist in voting for parties like the DUP, when that party clearly doesn't represent them on social or economic issues. Is the Union the only reason for this? You know, the, the DUP often acts against the class interest, the social and economic interest of working class Protestants, unionists and loyalists. Especially those from deprived communities suffering from the effects of Tory policies. And I suppose the failure thus far of parties like the PUP and other smaller parties to organise and win more significant electoral support compounds this anomaly. And of course, so does sectarianism. Let me say I don't buy into the current popular notion, based on recent opinion polls, that the DUP vote is in terminal decline. Yes, unionism has lost its electoral majority, but that could be turned around if its leaders got their act together. The scandals involving some of the DUP's Assembly members did have a negative influence in the last election, but the DUP still emerged as the largest party. Granted, its difficulties have increased since then. Its handling of the Brexit project was shambolic, The way its assembly team treated Arlene Foster was cowardly. But then, let's not forget that Ian Paisley also was dumped, both by the Free Presbyterian Church and the party that he founded. Edmund Puts, my old friend Edmund Puts, his leadership tenure was notable only for its brevity. Geoffrey Donaldson is now leader with a First Minister who he cannot change and whose office he cannot occupy, despite his desire and stated intention to do so. Of course, the DUP could get over all these problems and its electorate may forgive them when it comes to the Assembly election. (coughs) But for the first time, in a very long time, the UUP, with its new leader Doug Beattie, is now standing on a platform which is different from the DUP, particularly on its approach to the Assembly, And the Irish Protocol. The DUP do have a lot of catching up to do, but its leader certainly has articulated more positive attitudes to some social rights than the DUP. How all that will play out remains to be seen. Certainly, a gay unionist voter denied his or her right to marriage equality may have an electoral choice beyond Jim Wells's dangerous silliness. But the UEP also will not represent the economic or social interests of deprived Protestant Unionist, Loyalist, working-class communities, even if it does improve its overall mandate. The reality is that Sinn Féin policies are more advantageous to these communities than those of any of the Unionist parties, but the majority of the folks involved would not countenance voting Republican in any significant numbers at this time. It's all about the union and perceptions about Sinn Féin. And these perceptions may not change in the short term. And the union? The DUP say the union has been undermined by the protocol. Everybody knows the protocol as a result of Brexit and everybody also knows that Brexit is a child of the DUP. But will that affect their vote? Jeffrey leads a party at the crossroads. So what of Geoffrey? I won't spend too much our time here recounting his career highs and lows or take us through the twists and turns of his contorted narrative on all these matters or his threat to pull his ministers out of the executive or the DUP's absence from cross-border meetings almost certainly in breach of the ministerial code. Geoffrey knows the game is up for old unionism but he also knows it's not over, so he's playing for time. He recently did an interview with Freya McClements of the Irish Times. In it he gave some interesting insights into his view of the country he lives in. That's the same place that we live in. In response to a question of whether he would move if there was a united Ireland, he said no. He made it clear he was against a united Ireland and he gave his view that it was unlikely to happen. But he went on, my roots are here, this is our home, I love this place, I love the beauty of this place, I love the people of this place, my roots are here, they're strong, this island is my home, and therefore when someone asks me, are you Irish, I live on this island so geographically, I'm Irish, but I'm part of a wider group of nations that is British and therefore I don't see it as mutually exclusive to be Irish and British or Northern Irish and British. He also says, and I agree with him, that unionists and nationalists do not understand each other. So, Jeffrey, let us start to correct that. I'm sure that the Belfast Media Group would be delighted to do an interview with you as a means of you addressing nationalists and Republicans directly. And Foblacht may even be prepared to do an interview with you. If this can be arranged, I, for one, would look forward to reading what you Might say. So that brings us to the ongoing game of chicken between London, between the Tories, and the European Union. Will Boris or will he not trigger Article 16? For those who don't know what Article 16 is, it's part of the protocol agreed between the EU and the British government that in the event, and I quote, of serious economic, societal, or environmental difficulties that are liable to persist, either side can effectively tear up parts of the deal. The Tory minister with responsibility for negotiations with the European Union, Lord Frost, his title not mine, told the Tory party conference on Monday that the Brits believed that the threshold for triggering Article 16 has already been met. Speculation is intense that an announcement to take that decision may be announced at the conference that happened this week. That hasn't happened. The excuse for all of this brinkmanship is the sham claim that the protocol is having an adverse impact on the North. Apart from the Unionist parties accusing it of eroding the North's constitutional position within the Union, all the available evidence points to the contrary in relation to the protocol. Public disquiet even among Unionists has been very, very muted. Protests have only attracted small numbers of citizens. In the last week our television news have been filled with images of long lines of vehicles queuing at filling stations as owners desperately try to buy fuel. Some of the images have been surreal and very dangerous. One woman is seen drawing plastic bags to draw petrol. Others engage in road rage and kicking cars, shouting at each other and in one instance, putting a knife. The British army is now deployed and that's never a good sign. That, by the way, is all in Britain. There aren't enough lorry drivers Brexit forced many immigrant workers to leave. The British government has now invited them back for three months, but they must leave again for Christmas. They're probably expected to live in their trucks during that time. Supermarkets are having difficulty filling shelves. There's a warning that over 100,000 pigs may be culled and their carcasses dumped because they're not enough butchers. A news report on Monday said that Johnson's government is Considering plans to ease visa restrictions for up to 1,000 foreign butchers. The cost of construction has increased dramatically, and the supply of some medicines is giving cause for concern. The reason for all this chaos, Brexit, the little Englander mentality, the English nationalists now deposited very cynically in 10 Downing Street. Now, There may be other factors at play, including the incompetence of Boris Johnson and his cabinet, but the dominant issue creating the mess is Brexit. Boris and his friends refuse to admit this. Why would they? After all, they and the DUP are responsible for Brexit so they don't need to shift the blame to anyone else. Or rather, I should say, they do need to shift the blame. It's all the fault of the protocol and those nasty people in the European Union and in Ireland who backed the protocol. The fact that Johnson and his cronies negotiate the detail of the withdrawal treaty, including the protocol, is simply ignored. So now it's reduced to a game of chicken. The Brits are warning that they will take unilateral action to trigger Article 16. Will they? Or won't they? The EU says that it will legally challenge any move by the British to break an international agreement. Will they or won't they? Watch this space, folks. Finally, Sean O'Reilly was a genius. I'm certain of that. He brought Irish traditional music out of the back kitchens, the travellers' trailers and pub snugs, and brought it centre stage and into the concert halls and theatres of Ireland and the world. Sean died on October the 3rd, 1971, in hospital in London, aged 40. So the 50th anniversary of his death is this year and this month. He was born John Reedy on August the 1st, 1931 in Cork City and adopted the Irish form of his name, Sean O'Riada, after becoming interested in traditional Irish music in the 1950s. He studied music in University College Cork and did further studies in classical music in Paris. He and Ruth Coughlin, married and they and their children, moved to in omoleskul in Ballyvornia in the Cork Gaeltacht in 1963. Sean initiated projects to perform Irish music in ensemble form. Until then, traditional music was played by single musicians or maybe perhaps in small groups which included Cahillie Bonds and mostly Cahillie Bonds. Sean worked in Radio Ireland. He then worked in the Abbey Theatre. He was musical director there from 1955 to 1962. He formed the group Cullum, to perform Irish traditional music for plays during this time. The chieftains emerged in this period and from that initiative. Most famously, Sean wrote the fabulous music score for the films Misha-Era and Saoirse and for the playboy of the Western world. His O'Reilly Mass, Keol and Afrin is a joy. Sean Oreda's family have continued his musical journey. Cor Cullet, led by Pater Oreda, his son, took Fela and Fubble by Storm back in troubled times. Sean Oreda's contribution to Ireland and to our music and culture is immeasurable. His music lives on. Tamaj fear bwik de an Oreda. And we'll finish appropriately With his score for the film Mesha Ara. Goramila Magov, Chifime Shibsha Arish, Slan Liv.